0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you give a warm welcome to Pastor Ray Bentley? Thank you. Wow. Praise the Lord. Good evening. It is a blessing to be with you. We had a great time uh, with all the guys up in the mountains. and But I, I do have to say that up on the mountain, it is cold. <laughs> I'm from San Diego. I have San Diego blood. It was cold. But you know what? Uh, we started off last night talking about The the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he brought fire and warmed us all up. So it was a great night last night. Well, I want to say uh, thank you to Skip. He is a very good friend of mine. He is a powerful preacher. And your church and the reputation of what God is doing in you and through you here in Albuquerque is heard throughout the United States. Skip is a gift from the Lord to the body of Christ. And uh, I thank God for him. All right, well, I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to talk about the offering of praise. And we're going to close tonight with, you know, we we have the, the best and the ultimate and the greatest sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And God doesn't require any more sacrifices uh, for our sins. That's why Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. He didn't say it's halfway done. He didn't say it's on its way, but he said it is finished. And... But there are, you know, when you love someone, you want to give them offerings. You want to give them sacrifices. You want to express the love and the devotion in your heart. And we're going to see by the end of tonight that there are actually several sacrifices. Not of animals, no more sacrifices for sin. Christ has done that. But there are other kinds of sacrifices that we can show in a devotion to the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray and ask that you would speak to our hearts, lead and guide us into the truth. Lord, I I pray that I could bring a word of encouragement to my brothers and sisters here at Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque. I thank you for them, and I thank you for their pastor, and what a blessing that they have been to us, not only at Maranatha Chapel, but throughout all the Calvary chapels. And Lord, to the body of Christ... We pray that you'll be with Skip and bless and thank you, Lord, for Billy Graham. What a blessing this man is to us. And we pray that he would be encouraged to see so many friends and family celebrating with him. We thank you that you've heard our prayers and that you will answer them abundantly tonight. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Billy Graham touches my heart because uh, I'm now 51 years old. When I was 11 years old, Billy Graham came to my city, a little city of El Cajon in San Diego County. He came in the form of a film, Billy Graham films. How many have ever seen a Billy Graham film? Okay, a number of you. If you've ever seen a Billy Graham film, it always, the story ends at, at a Billy Graham crusade. So I'm 11 years old. This is the first time I've seen Billy Graham. It's in a movie theater. He's like 30 feet tall. Piercing blue eyes, and all I remember him was saying, You need Christ. <laughs> you can go to heaven. And so I got up and walked forward, and it's never been the same since. So <laughs> praise the Lord. Well, Hebrews chapter 13, he's giving some exhortations to the body of Christ in a church that was probably in the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. It was probably not like the beautiful. Uh, Service we have tonight with so many people it was probably quite small no larger than a home fellowship I understand you have home fellowships and small groups discipleship groups So that's what this church was. They were mostly Jews at this particular time That's why it's called to the Hebrews followers of Jesus believing in him as the Messiah They were undergoing a lot of pressure and a lot of persecution Rome was beginning to crumble. It was beginning to be shaken on the outside. And maybe we feel some of the parallels of this tiny flock in the midst of very troubled times. So he ends his letter with some, the, the author some practical exhortations. He says in verse 1, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. So he says, Practice love. And then, ironically, the second thing is practice hospitality. As the body of Christ, in troubled times, we need to be willing to share what we have, our homes, our food, our clothing, and especially beginning with one another. Hospitality is one of the most spiritual things you can do. Then he says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So remembering those who are really physically being persecuted like they are right now tonight in India. In fact, if you've heard, some of you maybe have heard heavy persecution against Christians and pastors and even some that have been martyred, that have died simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you the good news. Do you know why there is such heavy persecution against the church in that particular part of India? Because so many tens of thousands of the Indian people are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. Now in verse 4 he says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. So the honor of marriage and love within marriage, and the marriage bed is undefiled. God has given physical intimacy between a man and between a woman. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen? Now in verse 7, here's where we pick up. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Now in those days, they didn't have the New Testament as we have. The, The way that they heard the gospel was living human beings apostles, whether it was Peter, Paul, James, or John, that went and shared with them. Now, apparently, some of those who had actually traveled as missionaries and there to establish the church that this letter is written to, those who had come and shared the gospel have now been martyred. They they have lost their lives. They, They have laid down their lives. And so he is saying, remember your leaders. In other words, he's saying, hey, you guys, you, you're, you're maybe being insulted. Maybe people are verbally saying things against you because Rome started looking for a scapegoat. They always want, the world wants somebody to blame when things start going south, especially economically, politically. And you know the history of the church that eventually they pointed to the Christians, started feeding them to lions. That's all historically true. But at this particular time, they're still okay, they're doing all right. And, and he is saying to them, remember those who have gone before you. Remember their commitment. Remember their lives. Remember their example. Remember their joy that they weren't afraid nor ashamed of Jesus Christ. They were willing to lay down their lives. Consider the outcome of their way of life. They're in heaven. Now, f- speaking of Billy Graham, there is another uh, man that is, was part of the Billy Graham Association. Uh, who, his name is Sherwood Wirt. Sherwood Wirt, uh, lived in San Diego with his wife Ruth for a number of years and became friends of mine and, and Vicki. And Sherwood was actually somebody that was, uh, a writer. He, he was at the San Francisco Chronicle. He, uh, oversaw newspapers and then magazines and articles and books. He was in the, in the world of media, communications, and especially in writing. And God gave him, he came to the Lord late in life, and God called him and said, I'm going to use your skills, your profession, your education, and your background. I'm going to use you for my kingdom. And Billy Graham tapped Sherwood on the shoulder and said, I want to start a brand new magazine. I want it to be the most well-written, professional magazine that we've ever seen. And I wanted to tell the stories of the multitudes whose lives are being transformed by the gospel. In 1958, he started a magazine called Decision Magazine. How many of you have read Decision Magazine? And Sherwood, where it started that? Well, he passed away uh, this last week. And he is 97 years old. And what an amazing man. He had a fantastic memory uh, he he wrote a book called Joy. If I don't know if you can get a copy, but um, if you ever want and need joy... How many would like a little more joy in their lives? <laughs> I would recommend the book by Sherwood Wirt called Joy. And, and he, he, he loved me for some reason. I, I don't know why, but he, he had this amazing memory. He knew my story. And I met him one time, and then whenever I would be somewhere... And he would introduce me and say, Now, this is Ray Bentley, graduated from high school in 1975. He became a Calvary Chapel pastor, and then he began, he knew more about my life than I did. <laughs> I loved Sherwood Word. And now he's gone to be with the Lord. And I used to go to him and talk to him. He was a great student of, of history and the church, and I could ask him about any of the great Christian men and women. Of the last 2,000 years, and he would just tell you these radical, amazing stories and details that you wouldn't get out of the books. They came alive, and uh, he, he just touched me in such a deep way. And he said, "Ray, he said I was raised religiously. He said, but it really was through the gospel that was preached through this man, Billy Graham, that I heard God, and he he says I became born again." And he goes, it, it was, He goes. I found that God was chasing me my whole life. I believed in God, but I didn't know him personally until I heard the gospel. And so he loved Billy and admired him so much. You know, there's another man in the Bible we're familiar with who also came to the Lord late in life, who was also very religious when he was young. His name is Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. And this man, what moved him? He wrote so much of the New Testament. What is the difference maybe between Paul And sometimes you and I, I believe the only difference is that one beautiful day, Paul let God's love totally into his heart. I want to say tonight, it is an amazing truth that God's love is alive, it is active, and it is pursuing. It's a pursuing love. Even now tonight, he actively loves you. Even now tonight, he wants you to know that you are the apple of his eye that he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you have Jesus Christ in your heart tonight, he says, you are highly favored of the Lord. You are highly favored of him. He is pursuing you, desiring to fill you and to heal you and bless you beyond your wildest dreams or imagination. And and he has more love, even when you become a Christian. It's not like, well, that's the end. When you become saved and born again, it's not the end of everything, it's the beginning. God has more love to reveal to you. You have not seen, nor have we even scratched the surface of the height and the depth and the width and the breadth. In fact, God is, is so infinite and He is so big and His love is, is beyond even the universe. And, and do you know how long it will take him to manifest how much he loves you and me? It says in Ephesians chapter 2, throughout the exceeding ages, God will be unfolding more and more and more and more and more. We'll never get to the end of knowing or understanding how deeply God loves us. How many think that's a pretty exciting way to live? God is so good. Paul came to the Lord Jesus Christ late in life. The Lord chased him, followed him, and even though he was a religious man, God continued to pursue him. Paul came to know Jesus personally. He beat upon the door of his heart until finally Paul had to surrender to his infinite love. And I want you to know that, you know, yes, I, I'm a Christian, I got saved at 11, and then God led me miraculously to Calvary Chapel, which I am so forever grateful for. How I love, how I love Calvary Chapel, and just simply teaching the Bible simply. Isn't that the most awesome thing? Every time you come to church, you're going to hear the Word. You're going to hear the, what God has to say. And, and what you learn is, and the reason, you know another reason that I like coming to church, and of course I'm a pastor, but... The reason I like going to church is it's like the only place you can find good news. You know, man, I know, you know, politics, the election, it's all, it's come and it's gone and everything else. But with all that's going on in the world and economically and stuff, and I'm supposed to be informed, you know, Skip and myself, we we need to know what's going on and, and apply God's word. But there are times when I have to just turn it off. It's like I can only handle so much bad news. And so, encouragement, get into the Bible, get into the Word daily, because it is nothing but good news every single day. Amen? Amen. So, now, I mentioned Sherwood wrote a book, a translation of St. Augustine. St. Augustine was an amazing man who influenced the church for a very, very long time. He also wrote a book, it's called The Confessions of St. Augustine, how he late in life, came to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Sherwood wrote a translation because it was written in Latin, and so Sherwood, being the brilliant man that he is, translated it. There are many translations, and I highly recommend Sherwood's translation of St. Augustine's work, The Confessions. But here's, here's some of the most beautiful words that I've ever read. And it's by this man who lived so long ago and yet seems so contemporary to us today. St. Augustine said, I love you, Lord, not doubtingly, but with absolute certainty. Your word beat upon my heart until I fell in love with you. And now the whole universe and everything in it tells me to love you and tells the same thing to all of us so that we are without excuse. Again, in another place, he goes on to write, I came to love you late, O beauty so ancient and so new. I came to love you late. You were within me and I was outside, where I rushed about wildly searching for you like a monster loose in your beautiful world. You were with me, but I was not with you. You called me. You shouted to me. You broke past my deafness. You bathed me in your light. You wrapped me in your splendor. You sent my blindness reeling. You gave out such a delightful fragrance and I drew it in and came breathing hard after you. I tasted and it made me hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burn to know your peace. Isn't that beautiful? That's a man who is in love with God. Are you in love with your Father, your Heavenly Daddy? Are you in love with your Savior, Jesus Christ? It's like a consuming fire that overwhelms you, the further up and the further in that you go. So remember those who have gone before you, the great example of those who fell in love with God, even those who late in life fell in love with Him. But look at verse 8. He goes on to say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love that verse. And you know what? If you, you, I, I encourage you, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, which I don't mind. I, I, my Bible is filled with writings, underlining, stars, highlights, all kinds of things. Because it speaks to me. It seems to me. It becomes more precious as time goes on. But this is a verse you ought to have underlined. You ought to know this one, and you ought to know it by memory. It's pretty simple. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, look at me. Can you say that out loud? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Burn it within your hearts. Because what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that even though eventually Paul would die and, as a martyr and Peter would die as a martyr and John would die as a martyr and all of those in the first century who had heard the gospel through living human beings and they've gone to be with the Lord. And even though we have those who we looked up to and that we loved, like also my two godly grandmothers who loved and prayed and they were prayer warriors and gave me that first uh, you know, influence, that first fragrance of the love of God. What a what a godly heritage it is to have godly parents or godly grandparents. And if you didn't have that, you can be that now to the next generation, your own children or nieces and nephews. And And so with those being gone, what he is saying is, but we have Jesus. Jesus is with us. He says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And again, very simply, what what does this remind us of? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Know this tonight. How much does Jesus Christ love you? It's as fresh as this. Think of it this way. Yesterday, Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross and had spikes driven through his hands, his legs crossed, and a spike driven through his feet, and a crown of thorns pounded into his head, and the beard his beard plucked from his cheeks, and his face bitten, beaten so that beyond anything that you could even dream or see a human face. He loved you so much that he died for you yesterday. Today, he is risen. Today, he is alive. Today, he says, I sympathize with you. For I have, as a man, and by the way, when Jesus became a man, he did not just become a man for 33 years and then that was it. Here's the miracle of the incarnation, and believe me, I'm I'm a simple and a humble pastor teacher. I'm no great theologian. But with what I understand, I do share this with you. When God the Son incarnated into human flesh, blood, and bone, it's forever. He became a man forever. He is fully man and fully God. Holy man and holy God. Not half man, half God. He is all human, and he is all divine. For that same body that was, you know, miraculously born, lived a perfect life, was, and then was crucified, buried is the same body that is risen, the same Jesus is the same forever, interceding for you and I. And now, who who sits at the right hand of the Father, whom no man has seen on earth, And whispers into the Father's ear and prays for us. For he knows what it's like to be tempted in all ways as a human being. And yet he without sin. He feels what you feel. He knows what you go through. He cries when you cry. He rejoices when you rejoice. But Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Now in verse 9. In these verses he says, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Now, he doesn't exactly tell us what these strange doctrines were. They had something to do with eating, and if you do this, or you eat that, or you don't eat that, then that's better. Uh, or you're more spiritual. And somehow, you know, that you're, there's first-class spirituality and second-class spirituality and all the rest. No, there's not. Either either you're in the family or you're not in the family. If you have Jesus, you're in the family. And we are brothers and sisters. And I I love, don't you love being in the family of God? I have millions. I mean, in fact, go beyond millions. Right now today, in the biggest, broadest sense of the term, of those who claim to know Jesus Christ, there are about two and a half billion people who say that they are Christians and followers of Christ. Do you realize how many brothers you have? How many sisters that you have? It's amazing. What an awesome family that we belong to. Now, he says here, what makes us one is we are established by grace. It is not by something that we have done. It is by the amazing grace of God. That God has done everything for us. Salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. God gives you Something that, that you could never afford, that you could never pay for. How many are glad that we are under grace, that we are saved by amazing grace, never let go of grace? The grace of God is so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it's so marvelous. Numbers 10 he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. And therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Now, just for a moment here. He says, therefore, let us go forth to Jesus outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. Now, let me, let me just say this. When, and, and having been to uh, uh, Israel and, and to Jerusalem, you've got the, the Mount Zion, the holy mountain, and then on top of it you've got the Temple Mount. And around the Temple Mount and, and the holy mountain of Zion, you have the walls of the city of Jerusalem. But there is a certain sacrifice that for the day of the atonement, they were to take the, the body of that animal that had been sacrificed outside the gates of the city. For it was not in any way to have that sacrifice there within the gates. And, and what is amazing is, you know and, and have seen the reenactment of the story of the gospel and, and the Via Dolorosa, as Jesus walked his way inside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, carrying his cross literally through the marketplace. The Romans, I mean, right where people are trying to buy food and and exchange commerce and just make a living, they would drag these poor, on this particular day, three prisoners. And there's, you know, women there and children there and merchants there. It was a public humiliation. The Romans were doing it because they were saying see what happens to you if you disobey us we own you you are ours we control you it was a public humiliation but as Jesus made his way through the streets he eventually came to the northern Damascus gate of the city walls and guess what he led he was led those three were led outside the walls of Jerusalem and Golgotha was outside the wall of the city of Jerusalem, just like it was in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement. And there, it's almost like a physical picture of God's heart being broken and weeping for the physical rejection of His Son, Jesus, who outside there is being lifted up on the cross by the way, the only sacrifice humanly that God ever accepted Was his own son. No other other man, no other woman. Only his only begotten son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And there Jesus willingly gave his life. And from the cross he prayed, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. He loved to the end. He loved to the end. Judas, even when he offered him some bread and, and, you know, dipped the bread in the sauce, it was an offer of friendship. Judas refused. The, the only ones who, who don't know the Lord are the ones who just absolutely refuse. On his part, he's offering. And on that day, because of the love of Jesus, and here are these Roman soldiers just going through their job and watching this whole thing go on and the, the darkness and the thunder and the lightning and then it's raining and everybody leaves... And the Roman soldier that had to stick the spear up through his ribs and the blood and the water that flowed out at the end of that day, that Roman soldier, I, I don't know what that guy had been through, how many executions he had to be at, but he stood there on that day and said, truly this must be the Son of God. He didn't know, he didn't know anything, but he saw can you imagine? Jesus, the Messiah. And above his head, the other guys had their crimes, the capital crimes for which they were being executed. Jesus also. And what was written above his head? Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That was his crime. And for that he died. And even there he said, Father, forgive them. And a Roman soldier's heart broken. One day we're going to get to heaven and, and there's millions of people that I want to hang out with. But, you know, I'd like to make a date with you guys. How about when we get to heaven, let's all get together and talk to that Roman soldier who was there on that day. You want to, you want to talk to him? Would that be an, a great, an amazing story to sit down and talk to him? I wonder if there's blockbuster in heaven. If we can go back and see the reenactment of everything, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But suffering outside the camp. Now look with me in verses 15 and 16. Here's where we get the the sacrifices that you and I can make. And you know what? Even before then, let me bring a little application to to you and I. Obviously, you're here tonight because you love Jesus, right? You love the Lord. Do you love him? And, And it's easy to love him. Jesus, in his three, three and a half years of ministry, had varying reactions. There was a time of tremendous popularity. In the early, usually it was kind of in the early days, let's say the first year and a half, maybe the first two years of his ministry, multiplying fish and bread, and multitudes, 5,000 and and more. And all the miracles, and and there was not enough room for all of the people. We, We know all of that. But then as he made his way to the cross, more and more began to leave. Finally, Jesus said to his own disciples, will you also leave me? To which they responded, Lord, where else can we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. I, in my own generation, Jesus has been popular back in the 60s. They you know, were writing musicals about him, Jesus Christ Superstar. I got saved in the Jesus Movement in 1967. And now there are different attitudes and different feelings and different opinions about him. But are you willing... To say, I love Jesus, and not afraid, and I'm not ashamed, even if it means going outside the realm of what's popular or what's acceptable, will you stand there next to Jesus, even next to his cross, as it were, bearing whatever reproach the world might hurl, insult, or whatever else? And, and, and again, bringing it back to that Roman soldier. Yes, there are some that are going to wag their heads and insult, and, you know, your feelings might get hurt but there are others who are not saying anything and they're just standing there watching like that Roman soldier and they're seeing do they really love him and does he really love them and that soldier must have seen that day Jesus from the cross look down to his mom and John who is standing beside her and say mother behold your son son behold your mother how touching is that Jesus is being crucified and he's taking care of his mom After he goes to heaven, taking care of that disciple that she would care for him. You know, I don't know what all is going to happen in the future. None of us can really predict it. I like what my pastor Chuck Smith says about prophecy. Uh, And there's a lot of prophecies going around and what's going to happen. And Pastor Chuck says this prophecy is best understood after it's already happened. Now, Jesus did make predictions, and there are prophecies about the future, but trying to figure them out beforehand, when, the point is, when they actually happen, just like the prophecies about Jesus, it was hard to figure out how those 300 prophecies all came together in one man till he actually came. Then, when it happened, you go, oh! So that's the Bethlehem story, and that's the donkey and the triumphal entry, and that is the miracles, and that's the love and the compassion, and it all comes together. So we have to walk humbly. And, and we have to say, Lord, we can't wait for you to come. Our church's name is Maranatha, which means, Oh Lord, come. I'm ready. Are you ready to go if the Lord were to come tonight? Really? You ready to go to heaven tonight? Serious? Wait a minute. If he came tonight, it means you can't go to work on Monday. Is that okay? <laughs> we'll have other things to do. The marriage supper of the Lamb. But verse 15, he says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice. Now listen. We cannot, you know, as I said, we can't make sacrifices for our sins. The one perfect, complete, unrepeatable sacrifice has already been made by our great high priest. That's Jesus on the cross. However... The writer of Hebrews is saying, to Jews who were in the habit of wanting to make sacrifices to God, he says, okay, guys, you can still sacrifice and show your love to Him. But here's the real sacrifices that God wants. Verse 15. Therefore, uh, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. I leave you with four sacrifices that you and I, as modern-day believers, can offer to God today. Number one, the sacrifice of thankful praise. Just saying thank you is so powerful. We had a, um, we had a man, th- this is a great story, his name is Tas Sa'ad, a couple of weeks ago come to our church on a Wednesday night and share his testimony. We sat down in a couple of chairs, and I did an interview, and just let him ask and ask him questions to share his story. He was a member of the PLO, of Fatah. He was Yasser Arafat's chauffeur. He was a trained sniper who took the lives of many Jews, whom he said, I hated with everything within my being. Eventually, he made his way to America. Long story short, he's working as a young man still in a French restaurant, And there is one businessman who comes to his table, who is very successful, very prosperous, and who is always kind to this waiter, whom he has no idea who he is, where he's come from, what his background is. But he says, thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for serving me. And he said, where I come from in our culture, this was disarming. You don't thank your servants or your waiters. It touched me. And, and he would say, God bless you. And, and he says, he, for 17 years, he planted the seeds of kindness. And one day, Toss said, because they'd had this conversation, finally the businessman said, Toss, you need to learn to fear God. And he says, What? I'm a Muslim. I do fear God. What are you talking about? And he was very offended. And he goes, Toss, in order for you to know how to fear God, you need to learn how to love a Jew. And Toss, he said, he went ballistic. What? Do you know who you're talking to? And then he's like, no, you don't know who you're talking to, but do you know who you're talking to? And he just went ballistic. And finally, he was—he couldn't sleep, he couldn't eat, he couldn't drink. And finally, this, this businessman shared with him, and he said, the Jew I'm talking about is Jesus, whom you as a Muslim already believe in. But I want to give you a fuller revelation of his great love for you, Toss. Toss fell on his knees, He had this radical Damascus Road supernatural experience. God's Spirit came upon him. He is now born again a believer who who has asked God's forgiveness for all of his sins, who loves now the Jewish people and now has a ministry to those who live in the Gaza Strip, winning them to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the power of God. And he said it was the fruit of the kindness of a Christian businessman that was basically seeded for 17 years. Thankfulness to the sacrifice of unashamed witness. How many of you, did you know that 95% of all Christians have never led another person to Jesus Christ? 95% have never led another person to Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you know someone, either in your family, they're a friend, a relative, co worker, or a neighbor, who as of yet does not know the love of Jesus Christ? Anybody? All right. Let me give you a challenge. I challenge all of you, within the next year, to win one person, to lead one person to Jesus Christ. Just one. Should God give you the opportunity, that you would be unashamed and unafraid. To show with love and kindness and at least give the witness of Jesus Christ. that maybe God would win one to him. Amen? Thirdly, the sacrifice of compassionate service. And that is just serving the Lord. Doing good. And you guys have a lot of ministries here. If you're not serving in some way, I encourage you to get involved and serve. Jesus' disciples went about doing good. And fourthly and lastly, the sacrifice of generous giving. They shared what they had. There are a lot of predictions going on about the economy, how bad it will be, and and then some say it'll recover, and others say, no, it's broke. I, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen. What I do know is this, that most people say it's going to be pretty challenging for at least a season of time. This is an opportunity for Christians and believers to share what little, even if you have it, to share it with one another. To share it with brothers, to share it with sisters, to share it with family, to share it with your, you know, co-workers, neighbors, and friends. Because then the book of Acts, they had all things in common and they shared with one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, the love that you have one for another. Amen? Let's overwhelm this world with the love of Jesus Christ. Would y'all bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here and how I I see in their faces and their eyes their countenance, their love for you and their love for your word, their tenderness of heart. I heard it in their worship and praise. Lord, their deep devotion to you. Thank you for the witness of this church. Thank you for the many good works that are impacting This entire state of New Mexico. But their story is being heard beyond the borders of their own state and touching California to New York. Thank you for them, Father. I pray that tonight they will be blessed and they will be encouraged and they will be filled with the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.